0: Hello and welcome to eCommerce Gold. This show is brought to you as always by Rewind Protection Suite. Get it installed on your Shopify store for peace of mind. Protection against things like deleting products accidentally, apps causing conflicts. It even gives you a staging environment to test all your changes before you push them to your live store. This show is also brought to you by Sendlane, the company that is coming after Klaviyo's customers. And for good reason, they have an incredible product. It includes email, SMS, and reviews for free. They have an event coming up. Check out the link in the show notes. It's in San Diego in September. You should go if you're anywhere near. On to today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me today on Ecom Gold Podcast. How are you doing, sir?
1: Good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to chat. It's been so long. And um, obviously, I see you everywhere on Twitter. And uh, I've heard your name mentioned more than once, and we're in quite a, a bubble of a network, I imagine. So um, I know all about your agency. Um, I know a fair amount about you, but it's just one of those things we never cross paths So I'm super excited to actually just have a chat with you um, and get to know what you're all about. But for anyone who maybe isn't in the DTC sphere, can you just give that kind of couple of minute overview as to your professional and personal
1: yeah. Yeah. So I have been in e commerce for about 10 years. Um, I actually started a brand when I was in college, uh, which got me into all this fun stuff. Uh, so, a little bit more about me. I've been basically started a brand when I was 19, ended up getting a nailing a job at an agency when I was 19, dropping out of school, dropping out of college um, to just pursue that full time role at an agency. Uh, and then over the next kind of like five, six years, I Went from one agency, freelance, joined another. um, And then I was at one agency for uh, about 4 years, became a junior partner there. And then that was kind of my last leg before jumping out and building Homestead, which is um, the agency that I'm definitely known for, a little bit more being the founder of. Um, So Homestead, we're a growth marketing agency, uh, specializing in paid customer acquisition uh, and retention, so email and SMS. Uh, I started Homestead... Uh, we're coming up on our four year anniversary here. Uh, so we are currently a team of 50 full time employees. Uh, we've had a lot of growth over the last four years. Um, I actually stepped down as CEO about a year ago. So my business partner, Riley took over, uh, and he's been doing an incredible job growing that, growing that business, growing the team, helping our clients grow. Uh, but we work with, you know, any brands from launch brands all the way up to nine figure brands. Uh, you know, if you if you follow us on Twitter, you probably see our team uh talking with the HexCloud team a lot. They're a client that's been working with us for, for a while now. You know, we work with other cool brands like, you know, Brightlands, uh TRX, uh, I could name quite a few. Um, but uh that's that's the majority of kind of what got me into kind of where I'm at now, which is on the brand building side of things. So I started um homestead with the intention of like if I can really help cultivate a team and build uh, just like this environment of growth. Hopefully, I can then position that over to actually building my own brands, which is kind of what I did back you know, back when I was 19. Um, and so over the last 2 years, I've been slowly starting to build out a portfolio of brands. Um, so we are 100% bootstrapped at the agency on the brand side. We haven't raised any capital. Um, We've gotten a small uh, note that was just debt that we ended up paying off for one of the brands, but um, outside of that, we haven't raised any outside capital for for any of these businesses. But um, so yeah, I bought a notebook company called Public Supply in the very beginning. Uh, that was about two years ago. Uh, we're all like B two B mostly, so selling uh, really high end notebooks to boutiques, uh, and then we we've just started to build out more of like a custom wholesale program. Um, so that's going good. That's a you know a six figure revenue business. That's not a very big business at the end of the day. Um, overall, I've learned a lot from from buying that that business. Um, I bought that off of Micro Acquire or Acquire now. Um, so I, we can talk about that at some point if you want. Uh, I also launched an apparel brand uh, last. Let me think about this. No, nope, two years ago um, that has been growing nicely. Um, you know, we did kind of zero to a hundred k in our first thirty days with that business. Um, and that's been, that's been, you know, scaling steadily. That'll do kind of high seven figures this year in revenue, um, that apparel brand will, uh, which is really exciting. That'll kind of grow about, you know, 4X year over year. And then, um, I've acquired two more, two more brands in the last six months. Um, one's in the kind of like home decor space. And the other one is, uh, in the like cleaning space. That one's called Frey, um, the laundry detergent brand. So yeah so building out a portfolio of brands now is kind of my main focus. Uh, I've built out a small team that's separate from the agency um so I have a team of six that's just working on the brands completely separate from homestead um and I'm just kind of CEO leading that team as we grow the brands now.
0: Perfect, lovely and concise, tons of information in there though we have such similar <laughs> I mean you wouldn't believe the similarities in our journey so far i had an agency for five years i think the only key difference is you've done a much better job than i did and uh, <laughs> <laughs> i would and have more to you bear know, but... at the end of it um but for anyone who hasn't run an agency like feast and famine is the kind of classic term that's used which is you either have too much work or too little at any given time mm-hmm. so to have 50 employees in an agency that's like it's a tremendous amount of pressure um i think we got up to 16 at one point and and it it's a really difficult business model to get right. And um, from everything that I've seen, you've done such a great job at that, which just gives me every confidence in your ability to take on four brands plus an agency. You know, anyone else looking at this would be like, you're crazy. I think um, I forget the name, bamboo, earth, whatever they tried to do with their. Oh yeah. Four
1: by 400. Four by 400.
0: And there was a lot of learnings there. You know, i Fair game to anyone who wants to try anything is my opinion. I think. Have you got any resistance from people saying you should just be focused? I mean, that's the classic, isn't it? You should just focus on one thing. Yeah. chase Too many things at once, you can't catch <laughs> them. In. What's What's your response yeah. to that?
1: Well, I mean, I think your your point about earlier about like feast or famine for the agency. So we've been <clears throat> we've been fortunate that we've been um, we've never done a, an ounce of outbound at the agency. It's all been either referrals or people reaching out to us. I think an agency business, like at the end of the day, really just comes down to the quality of work that you're doing for your clients, Um, and then trying to find ways to, you know, be creative about retaining them, right? Even if that just means like adjusting scope or adjusting, you know, payment terms potentially, or adjusting, you know, service offering. Um, Yeah, I mean, to get to 50 employees, I never thought we would get that big. To be honest, like when I remember starting Homestead, I'm like, we're going to be seven, eight awesome growth marketers we're going to keep this super lean um but the inbound just kept kind of happening and then i think over time you know the more that people see oh wow they're working with this bigger brand or like they have <clears throat> you know seems like they have more awesome people i think us being on twitter and a lot of our team being on twitter has helped us recruit some incredible people um it's it's definitely been one of those things where like our team has helped market the agency um, for us, which has been incredible. So anyways, um, yeah, I think, you know, focus is definitely what everyone that kind of pushes back on my thought process of like, can I go from building an agency to building this like hold co of brands or even like an individual brand. Um, it's why I stepped out as CEO, to be honest. Um, I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to give our clients the time and attention that I wanted to. Um for that business and, and team honestly to like continue to grow successfully. Uh I probably spend about, I don't know, three to five hours a week on the agency still. Um, it's mostly just like high level conversations with uh our leadership team um and then my business partner Riley. Um but yeah I mean I think you know we are fortunate that we've you know, been through the ups and downswings of D2C, and we've we've learned a lot over the, even just the last two years um that have positioned us to do kind of this like holdcomb model a little bit differently, right? So, you know, <clears throat> looking back even two years ago, uh four by four hundred, you mentioned them as an example. They had, I think, three or four brands. Um they were struggling to gain traction for three, they found traction for one. They basically, you know, sold off three, kept one, and are just doubling down on Bamboo Earth. Which is run by Dave, uh, who's an incredible, very, very smart, talented marketer um, and just great operator. But for us, you know, with the ability to do multiple, it just really comes down to the fact that like we've learned how to run profitable customer acquisition at the agency. And we've been able to do that in like four different categories over here. Um, We've also like kept the team super, super lean. Um, on the brand side, um, I know like over at you know four by 400, their team was quite a bit bigger when they had those four brands than where we're at now with four brands. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with it too, right? When you run a really lean team, um, you can kind of push a little bit harder and take some bigger risks. So, um, but to the point about focus, I don't know, I think like one brand, four brands, maybe even more coming up. For us, it's more about like, can we gain traction? Can we hit a million dollars a month in revenue? Um, and until we kind of know that that's a hard yes or a hard no, uh, we're just going to keep, you know, either launching more, buying more, um, and then the plan is if we really can't gain enough traction to hit a million a month in revenue, we'll either sell that business, liquidate it, or you know, just foreclose it if it just doesn't shake out at the end of the day. But um, right now you know we're taking a lot of bets this year is kind of about taking a bunch of bets um, after acquiring a couple more brands and we'll have a really good understanding by i think end of q4 of like how many of these brands can actually hit that kind of million a month revenue pace uh, versus not and then the plan is like i said to either sell or foreclose on the ones that aren't working out
0: so it is a asymmetric bet spread betting to try and find a winner to take further Yeah.
1: And I think like each, each one that we like buy or acquire or start, we like learn more and more and more. Right. So like... The first one was this notebook company, right? It was a micro acquire. Um, I've shared these numbers publicly before, but it was you know for sale for 150 grand. I bought it with cash. It was the dumbest thing I could have ever done, right? Like the agency was going good. I like didn't want to, you know, didn't know enough about just like financing, getting debt to acquire businesses. There's SBA, like there's so many opportunities for us here, like in the US, uh, to buy businesses and like leverage debt to help them grow. Didn't do any of that. So like also that business is so niche that it just like isn't a great you know product to sell on the traditional d2c model which is paid ads right so like we've been we've definitely really struggled with that one um, we're, we're a b corp so we like donate funds at the end of the year to buy school supplies for for kids which is honestly the main reason why we still have it um, if it didn't have that kind of giving portion to it i definitely wouldn't have sold it or tried to like get rid of it by now um, but like that one was just like way too small of a market we can't run ads like that are, are effective. People don't just like buy $16 notebooks off of ads. It's not like an impulse purchase thing. Um, so that one we learned a lot on. The the apparel brand, I, I feel like we took a lot of the learnings just from the agency to try and apply there. We kept the SKU count really low. Um, we were able to run it, you know, definitely really broad. It's a product that any consumer can can use. Um, and, you know, we leveraged that into buying this like home decor brand, one thing there again, like made the mistake that's like a little bit more niche. I think like that brand will like potentially max out at like five or six million in annual revenue. Um, I could be wrong, but um that one definitely like we shot again a little bit too small. Like the market for that product is just smaller. Um, and then Frey, which I feel like is honestly been our best acquisition to date. Um, laundry detergent, everyone uses it. Um, it's a great, you know, product. It solves a problem. Um, right now we're selling you know a product that you know reduces and removes the idea of like having plastic it, you know it's really light it ships it ships you know the cost of shipping is really low um there's a subscription element to it so like repeat purchase and ltv are just like built into it um we can run broad ads like it, it just like kind of checks all the boxes our margins are great on it like we've continued to like learn a little bit more and more and more. So I think, yeah, asymmetric bet. We keep taking more bets. And I think like each one is like getting a little bit better over time.
0: If you had to give a kind of doctor's report or a nurse's report on the health of each of those companies, you just mentioned good health, yep. bad health, life support, or, you know, peak peak performance, where would you, could you just go through each one and give us an update as to where you would yeah put each one?
1: Totally. So, public supply notebook company, um, it's like hanging in there. What I would say. So, we have plenty of inventory now. We're rolling out on um, a few marketplaces, like for wholesale. Um, I definitely wouldn't buy something as niche as that business. Um, we tried to crack like uh, wholesale and um, fair, basically trying to get like uh, stores to buy through our fair account. It's been hard. Like B two B is tough. Um, So that one's like hanging in there, not really like booming. Like I said, it's a six figure business this year. Um, Apparel brand, like on the way up. I very very healthy. Um, That one. um, So last year we did one point four million in revenue. Uh, The year prior we only had like three months. We did about three hundred k the first like technically year in the first three months. One point four last year. I mean we're pacing. We should probably do close to like six to seven million this year um, for that one. Um, that one's going really, really well. Um, margins are decent. Uh, consumers are loving the product. You know, things are looking good there. Um, th- that one, like, <laughs> we can talk about this later. We can talk about this now if you want. But basically, trying to find a way to four x our inventory buys. Uh, it's more like five or six x our inventory buys last year to this year um, was like a massive challenge because I'm like, okay, we definitely have product market fit. We're acquiring customers profitably. How do we like how do we like now go and scale this uh, without raising any funds or like you know losing any equity uh, for any raise right? Um, and so one thing that I did and I'll, I'll just break it down right now is uh, so we manufacture the products that, for the apparel in the US um, which our costs are definitely a bit higher than if we made them offshore or anything like that um, but, the, the trickiest part is like the raw materials that we use is like fifty percent of our cogs. Like that's kind of what makes our product really special is like the actual materials that we use for the apparel. Um, so because that makes up fifty percent of our cogs, to so then think like, oh, we have to go buy five to six times more raw materials this year to actually produce the products that to, to grow by that much. Um, so what I ended up doing is I got our manufacturer to place a PO with our company for the raw materials where normally like they would you know buy the raw materials themselves to make the product. So I was the then buyer and importer of these raw this raw material. And I took that to a bank and basically said, hey, I have a PO from my manufacturer for you know seven figures of this raw material. Um, can you lend me money to then buy this raw material? Which then that was kind of like our like debt facilitator to That's then shit. go That's and so small. <laughs> yeah. So that allowed us to basically cover 50% of our cogs which is all you know you know the majority of it um up front through debt, um so yeah, so we've been importing our own raw materials this year, which has been going smoothly it's funny, like we also like by doing that, we like kicked out a broker, which then c- brought our cogs down slightly too, so um anyways that that's been a big win for that brand, um, and like I said, that one should be should be a rocket ship this year, so that apparel brand's healthy. Um, home decor brand. We're in retail, so that's been my first experience with retail. So, uh, we are in um, Bass Pro and Cabela's. If you're familiar, or have ever heard of those in in the states? Basically, it's all like outdoor hunting, fishing um, type of type of stuff. Um, and that's been really interesting, right? So, <clears throat> same kind of thing there, right? So, like Bass Pro Cabela's will, is starting to place POs. We just got like a commitment for twenty thousand units for like Q or Q four Q one. Um, now I'm trying to like take those, learn how to go take those and shop those around to banks to go get debt, to go buy the inventory to make sure we can like have the inventory for that, which then covers inventory for retail and inventory for D2c and Amazon. So uh, that one I'd say is like generally healthy. Um, I you know, it's definitely a game of can we forex inventory year over year again? Like that's kind of like the the tough spot. These are all growing businesses, but to finance inventory, With just debt and trying to you know find the the cheapest cash is like a lot of work, Um, and then Frey, Frey has been Frey was you know uh, if you would have talked to me three months ago I would have said like dumpster fire nightmare. Um, We bought the business, there was so much cleanup to do. Um, They were on like a their own custom subscription app, they were on a headless site, like we couldn't touch anything for the first like couple months. So we had to replatform. All of that over moved over to stay AI for uh, subscription, which they've been amazing to work with. Um, redesigned the site fully, relaunched the site. You know they had a bunch of personal care products. We killed all the personal care products. Like just a lot of work in the first few months. Um, but these last couple of months, we've just then been doubling down on you know building funnels to to acquire customers profitably, and that's what we've been able to do. So. Um, yeah, that thing is a rocket ship now, and now it's you know just just like all the other ones. It's can I buy inventory? Can I find you know financing for inventory that's gonna you know not break the bank for us um, and still keep our margin pretty strong? So yeah, phrase in good standing.
0: Nice, thank you. So let's let's double down on the inventory financing piece because a lot's changed since the days of Phil Knight shopping around blue ribbon at the banks and trying to yeah. secure some capital that way but it sounds like you're sort of going back to that mode of capital acquisition uh and going going to these high street banks i guess they're high street banks um you just walk us through like what your strategy's been there i know you mentioned some really clever tactics that you've used but more specifically just can you give us an idea of like what the market's like at the moment like can you give us a fly on the wall of one of those meetings how do they go like how do you pitch it in is it salesy is it like just give us kind of a picture of everything.
1: Yeah, so um, you know, in Q1, basically my entire focus was, and this is the same thing Q1 last year. Funny enough, it's like after Q4 you kind of see what's possible, and then you're like, okay, I got to go double down and buy more, buy more inventory. So, um, yeah, I mean, I talked to every, for the most part, every you know digital funding uh, solution out there, right? The Clearco's of the world, Wayflyers, Amplas, Settle, all all of them. Um, and I think a lot of them are are great, but since you know uh, they've seen so many brands uh, you know go bankrupt, foreclose, they've lost a lot of money. A lot of these kind of fintech companies, um, and because of that, they've really tightened up their you know restraints of like who they're willing to fund, and the terms that they're willing to fund for. Right. So if you're a brand doing less than I don't know. 150-200k USD uh, a month. It's going to be hard to like go get decent terms and enough money from one of those partners. Um that's going to be worth it, right? I mean like Shopify Capital is incredible. Um it's super fast, super easy, but their terms are terrible, right? I mean like you you're going to pay a- an extremely expensive fee for just utilizing, you know, 10-15 grand, right, that you pull at a time. Um so, I yeah went to more of a traditional bank route. Um, and for me, it was just shopping around with a bunch of local banks. So, I'm not with like, you know, I'm not with the JP Morgan's. No one like that really cares about me. It's still too small right now. Um, but yeah, I went and shopped with a bunch of local banks and basically tried to figure out what's all out there. Right. So, in the US, um, there's a bunch of awesome programs with um, the SBA, which I haven't taken advantage of yet. But, um, The majority of what we've been doing is like a revolver, they call them, or just like a rolling line of credit, um, or just even like an an inventory buy loan, right? Where like all that it's used for is, you know, I've got four or five months to utilize the capital, you know, buy the inventory and then owe owe the bank back Um, in terms of been pretty good, right? I mean, like prime plus half a percent, prime plus 1%. So we're talking, you know, 8% uh, interest, which is not great, but... Um, at the end of the day, they've been able to lend significantly more than all of the fintech companies out there. Um, and like I said, with like the apparel brand, you know, you kind of have to get a little bit scrappy and like think through what kind of clever ways can I do this where they might be able to lend me more money. Um, so <clears throat> I think that's, that's the big thing. A lot of it comes down to then just having like super tight financials, right? So like if you're a small ecom brand, having a good bookkeeper, um, and really staying on top of that, I feel like is is the key. Um, being able to pull all of your, you know, your P and Ls, your balance sheets, having like a really robust, you know, forecast where it's like this is what we've been doing, here's what we're expecting to do. Um, you you kind of need all those pieces, right? So, I think the local bank is a great option um, if you can find a partner. To me, I shopped around. I don't know, maybe six, seven banks here, um, and tried one. You know, they got me decent, a a decent rate, a decent amount, and then shop basically leveraged that into another deal to get an even bigger line of credit. So a lot of it just comes down to just like staying persistent about it too.
0: Hey, me checking in. Hope you are enjoying the episode so far. It's brought to you by send lane. we've already spoken about why you should be considering moving to send lane if you're doing email sms or reviews reviews are free with send lane just so you know um but they have a commerce roundtable in san diego on the 18th and 19th of september so please do go and register if you're in the area or if you can make the trip i'm sure they'd be delighted to see you there's going to be some incredible talent there it's great guests and uh, great talks so do check it out is it a standardized template as in each bank you go into, they ask the same sort of questions, you have the same sort of answers, or is it more of a storyboard? Are you painting a picture for them and trying to like sell them on the idea of why they should give you some money? That's the first part. And the second part of the question is, when they offer you it, is that obviously you have your terms, you have the interest, you have the amount. Is there any other expectations that are maybe like read between the lines expectations? Like, okay, please make sure you have this much always in the bank, or please make sure you do these three, three or four things. Is there anything like baggage attached to the deal?
1: Um, so first question, I mean, they all pretty much ask the standard stuff, right? P&L balance sheet, last year's revenue. So like, this is again, where, um, I you know, one of my mentors has told me like the banks, anyone really will, you know, lend you money and will love to lend you money when you don't need it. Right. Like after you don't need it. So, um, that's the hardest part right it's just getting in bootstrapping and trying to get to a certain size where then you have enough historical data that then they can say okay I, I can you know reduce my risk and tick on this bet um but yeah I mean so they're asking for pretty much all the same thing right you know they love to see you know last year's as many years of of, of information as possible and financials as, as you can give them um, if you don't have that you don't have that right and then that's where the you know the storytelling really comes in so for me for like You know, the apparel brands um, to get that kind of like finessed financing to buy the raw materials and all that kind of stuff. That was a big storytelling piece, right? I mean, like having the agency talking to them about the brands that we work with there, talking to them about, you know, the traction that we have and how, you know, we were able to scale so quickly in the first 30 days. And it's just been an inventory constraint ever since. Um, I think the other big thing too, there is just like, being very, very clear with them and allowing them to have some kind of like sub terms in the agreement where like for mine, it's just as like just for inventory. So for my like rolling line of credits, they do the wiring, like the wire transfers to the manufacturer um, so I actually don't like have my hands on all those funds. Right. So it, it's not like I'm going to go get, you know, whatever, a half a million dollars, uh, line of credit. And then I'm going to just pull 200 K and just like take it as a draw for like salary. Right. Um, that's, that's the other big piece. So I think like the other side of it too, is just like getting to know them, um, as much as possible, um, and just like personally getting to know them, like I've sent you know my products to like our bankers so that they can like you know have some themselves, right? Stuff like that, right? They love free shit like that, so I think anything like that that you can do to get them more bought into the long term. Um, one other like approach that I had, which I didn't need to do, is I was planning to just run um, ads in my my hometown here. Um, and just like pummel ads in my hometown, like the week leading up to me having a bank conversation. Cause my thought was like, okay, the chances that they see these ads is gonna go up a lot higher. They're gonna see it, and then I'm gonna come in and talk about it. So um, I didn't need to do that, but like that was kind of in my back pocket if I wasn't able to secure the funds that I needed. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's just like doing what you can, right? When you're trying to bootstrap, you're trying to grow a brand, like having the financials to buy the inventory honestly is probably the hardest part if you found product market fit. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of been my approach so far.
0: Yeah. That reminds me of, I don't know how long you've been in the ad game. I was guessing as long as me, if not longer, I remember you mentioned on another podcast that you've been in the world of Magento. So I also share your pain there. And that tells me how, <laughs> yeah. uh, how long you've been in the game. Yeah. Some people are still using yep. that thing. Um, so Yeah, I I remember a time where you used to be able to use Facebook uh, numbers at the end of people's profile to identify their profile. And then for events, for example, we used to work with B2B clients running Facebook ads and they would have silly amounts allocated to stands at events. And we'd say, right, give us all of that budget. Don't do your stand. And we will target. We'll get an event list of the attendees going to X event in London at the Excel. We'll target all of those people. We'll find them on Facebook on their profiles. Copy and paste that um, unique identifier, which was just at the end of the URL. Like your profile had yeah. a unique number, and then you could re-upload those as an audience, and then target location within like 0.5 of a kilometre of the event venue massive event Matthew, mm-hmm. and then upload that audience and it was just like printing money for these people I mean, You can't do that anymore i'm not even sure how legal it was when we <laughs> did it but you know it worked really well yeah. and it's just kind of similar well it's not that similar but you know that's such a good idea just saturating same, location. Same process yeah, <laughs> yeah. um yeah. i love all these like little. You've got, you've got so many of these and it's just from being in the game for so long especially as an agency because you just have to think about some of these things like where a brand or a, or a specific company might come into it with um their way of thinking you have all these other things that an agency are like nice little things to know that maybe other people wouldn't know you can just add them on as like tactical in place one thing i wanted to ask you is like how much do you value the experience you've had at an agency both internally for yourself coming into this and also when you're having conversations with banks and others how how well does that play into the story of look i've run an agency with these brands for this long
1: yeah, I'll answer the bank part first. They they don't really care, to be honest. They like they just want to see the financials of the business that they're lending. Right, like yeah. they're not lending homestead, you know, money. Um, but so they they don't really care, which kind of sucks, right? So it's more about like the financials of the actual brand that we're trying to lend for. Um, now on the other side, like I wouldn't be remotely as successful on the brand side without the agency. Like hard stop. Also. Um, you know, I was able to hire two employees that just worked on the brand side under the agency for the first few months, right? So like the agency was able to help us like fund those employees for the first two months before the brands could even afford to pay for those employees. So we originally had, you know, like a two-person team under Homestead that was just working on the brands, and then we pulled that, you know, apart. Um, and now it's just a completely separate entity that that are employees that work on the brand. So I mean, from a financing standpoint of all the inventory, like I wouldn't, you know. The, some of these numbers to some people are like holy cow that's a, a lot of growth very fast how are you funding the initial inventory like none of that would be happening without the success of the agency right like the amount of capital that i've put into these brands only because of homestead so um from a skill set standpoint like i can't even like if anyone wants to start brands and is struggling to start brands Working at an agency uh, or starting an agency, I think is like the best approach, right? Because it's not just it's not just like the how do you run the ad account? how do you set up Clavio. It's not just like the work, right? It's like all the nuanced conversations that you have with all of these founders um and the connections that you make, right? So like for me, if I ever now need, I don't know, uh, what is the best app for you know we we just brought fulfillment in house for for three of our four brands um I put it up on Twitter, but then I also reach out to like my network of brand founders that I've met over the years at the agency, and it's like, what's everyone using for fulfillment and it's just right away I have like seven answers within a couple of minutes. It's like, okay, cool, now I can go make that decision much faster, so I think like just you know the relationships have been like a a massive piece and a massive hack to building the brands and building them faster. It's just like that, you know, response time of all of these people. If I have a question, um, that we've helped grow over the years, right? Like we've done our part to help their businesses grow. And now they who are amazing operators, amazing people at all the other things, products, finance, um, logistics, like they now want to take that knowledge that they have and share that back with me. So, um yeah definitely wouldn't be <laughs> wouldn't be what we're doing with the brands without without
0: the agency i think with the agency side as well i don't know if you agree but you get such exposure you might come into an agency with one skill set that you're really good at maybe it's media buying creative whatever that might be but then as you start to bring clients on they start to ask for more things and i'm f- speaking for myself here if a client asks for something and i don't know personally how to do it there's money on the table if you're trying to grow the business you're not going to say no unless it's something that you just don't think you can deliver. So you try and find a way to do it. And that process repeats and repeats and repeats until you're at a point where I don't know how many services you offer at Homestead, but I'm sure it's more than one. And you end up offering this breadth of services, but as an agency owner, or at least someone in a high seat, an agency, you have, you have to be able to talk the talk because you're talking the talk with people that are doing it day in, day out. So the only way to get good is to actually get good. Um, And I think that's such a credit to people who have run agencies there's a guy here called Danny Buck in the UK. I don't know if you know him, he's got crafted his mm-hmm. um, yep. wife has got, um, Honu. Um, he's done a few brands, but he came out of an agency as well. Small, small team, very similar thing to what you're saying, you know, small team executing really well and operating eight figure brands. I think with le- less than 20 people, I don't quote me on that, but just pretty, pretty cool stuff, you know, balancing lifestyle. So, Here comes number three, me, because I am also looking to do what you are doing or have done. So I spun out of my agency, which I started. And before that, I was at an agency. Um, And now I want to deploy some capital and I want to build a brand. Um, My personal passions are CrossFit. everyone's sick of me saying that, but that's where I am. There is some benefits to that. Uh, in terms of the space it's very clicky it's very bubbly it's quite big it's growing and there's not much product innovation where you might go into a bodybuilder gym and see a lot of gymshark knocking around typically what you would see in the crossfit gyms you don't really see a dominant brand there's a couple but they have um quite specific connotations they're quite pigeonholed anyway i thought what would be fun to finish out this conversation would be for you to give me some kind of uh play on how i can grow this business from zero to 100 i will answer any questions and i'll give you some information up front uh and also bring in what i've heard you talk about before in other podcasts. your sort of zero to one um playbook uh, and one that you've used i think extensively with your own brands. so um that's where i'm at i don't know how this cool, is gonna cool. go but we'll see how it yeah, goes I'll, I'll hand I'll, it over to you um, what questions would you ask
1: Okay. So first thing is, um, okay. The product that you, that you focus on, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't entirely focus on just thinking that it can sell in CrossFit. I would think maybe I can sell this to a CrossFit audience, but then who else could I sell this to? Um, we, you know, we have worked with brands at the agency, um, that are in that space and it's, It's smaller than you think when it comes to advertising. Like, it's not the biggest category in the world. So, are you going to build a $100 million brand around CrossFit apparel? Probably not. But could you build a seven figure brand doing it? For sure. Um, So, just knowing that going into it. um, I really like when you think about a product and you think about what are all the use cases of this product, right? So, like, I've shared this example for like my apparel brand, but this is a product that everyone in the world could use, but like, what are all the use cases for it? So uh, we sell like an outdoor enthusiast type of apparel product. Um Let's just say I, it's not this, but let's just say like it's a hat or a beanie or something like that, right? Um, who could all use a beanie? Could, you know, CrossFitters wear this beanie in the winter if they're working out outside? I mean, like probably not, but like, could a runner wear it outside? Could a... Um, you know, someone that's into like hunting or fishing wear this outside, right? Like what else could, you know, what other categories or what other use cases could you sell that product for? Um, I think, I think you finding a product that solves a problem will always sell better than just a brand. I mean, there's been, you know, the gym sharks of the world, there's like young LA, there's a bunch of brands that have, have made it work. Right. Um, I just feel like if you can create a product that actually solves a problem that could be used for multiple use cases, um, it could be, could be great. So like one, I mean, this is just like super random, but I was just scrolling. I think I was on YouTube shorts or something like that. And there was a guy that was just doing like, I don't even know, 10,000 pull-ups over the course of like a week or something like that. And he was using like these sponges that you would use in like your kitchen for like cleaning dishes to like hold over the pull-up bars. Like he wouldn't get, um, you know, blisters or anything like that. Right. So something like that is, like, such a simple product um, that anyone that's in the workout space that wants to do pull-ups could use. I mean, it might be perfect for CrossFitters because they're trying to do muscle-ups and stuff like that, right? But it solves a problem, and it's such a simple product. You could Your margins would probably be great on it if you actually, like, sold these, like, pull-up sponges. I don't know. Like, this is just an idea that, like, came to my mind this can morning. I, can I like, show
0: you what a pull-up sponge looks like in real life? Hang on. Give me two seconds, everyone. It's unlikely during this conversation that something on your store will break. Someone will delete something, but it can happen. So please install Rewind and you can listen to the rest of this episode without having to worry. Is this your product? This is one of them. This is one of them. These are pull-up sponges. Oh my God. I might have to You've got to be kidding me. Pull-up sponges. (laughs) uh nice that is neoprene, wild dude. neoprene on the back for comfort on the wrist nice there's a lot of innovation going on like this is split sewed and there's some interesting stuff going on But yeah this is our latest sample of pull-up sponges i like amazing, it. amazing dude.
1: dude yeah that's wild so anyways <laughs> so right like it could be great for crossfit but obviously like anyone that's working out can use it right anyone that has a home gym whatever right so i think like just not not niching yourself down too much, but making products that solve problems. So like you're already had in that right direction, right? I think that would be that was just my first bit on like product is just like trying not to niche down so hard and thinking like, can I expand from here? Mm-hmm. Um, because again, like the way that the, you know, as you know, meta's like algorithm and everything is working now, the ability to run broad and use like creative to like find your customers is like what's working best so trying to think of products that you can run a little bit more broad versus just being like okay can i run this to a crossfit interest audience that is probably going to convert well but how much scale will i get out of that
0: here's the fundamental question that i get so i've got limited capital everyone's got limited capital but i've got a limited capital going into this right um so something like that that i just showed uh the grips is a a, one dominant player in the space not much you know there's there's two or three anyway the point being is that they're they're fairly high margin easy to sell products the idea being is that you know do you try and find a hero product and then match that to a niche audience and scale off that into other products and diversify that was one option or do you do more of your approach which is find something that's got a much bigger tam and then try and find ways to tailor it to specific audiences and tap on doors hope one opens and then double down it may be in rock climbing and you're like, fuck, I didn't expect that, but Hey, I'm here to make money. Um, and so I, thinking- I can just give
1: you, so like the apparel brand, for example, was the, the, the second thing. Right. So like I was running this like individual product to runners, hikers, uh, and then we tried hunting as an audience and it just clicked. And like, I never would have thought hunters would have loved my product. um, but it just smashed. And we're like, okay, well, we're just going to double down on that for now. And then since then we've been able to expand back out to hiking and other, you know, running and cycling and other categories. Um, But I think just like having the ability to test all of those in the very beginning um, just gives you more opportunity, right? Because you don't know, right? I mean, like there's, you know, I'm seeing online here, like I just searched what you were what you were posting. There's other brands that sell products like that. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. not like that is like this completely brand new thing. That's never existed before you're making modifications to it. You're still solving the problem. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think like having the opportunity to test other like use cases is the way that I describe it. Use cases, markets, whatever you want to say. I think gives you a better chance of winning because now you're not just limited to one audience that might be like, you know, already bought into rogue fitnesses, you know, solution for it or mm-hmm. something like
0: that. Makes a lot of sense. So that's one product and, and apparel is the the next. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about innovation um, not necessarily material innovation, a bit like you've invested in, but more in feature function innovation specifically to do with you know, what can be done with the apparel that you're wearing beyond how it looks and beyond how it feels, you know, functionally, which is important in certain arenas. Um, I feel like the reason why I did that was to give me something to talk about primarily to give me something to demo that's different, that stands out and gives people a reason to actually go, ah, oh, I wonder why, or oh, it's worth a try, or at least I'll look at it. That's why I did it. Um, and also because I thought it you know, would be quite handy. Um, were you profitable? So one of my biggest fears is, is placing that initial order, right? Because, because it's an innovation in what well, it's a way, every factory I've spoken to, it says just simplify. It's your first product simplify. Just take, just do this instead. You know, they just, they just want to print what they normally print. I want them to do something a bit more custom. I can get that to be done. The MOQs are higher. So investing in that first run and getting those, you know, first products with your apparel brand, were you pretty much profitable straight away when you're running ads?
1: We, it took us about 30 days, um, to crack a profitable new customer acquisition. Um, but in those thirty days, again, we t- had the ability to test all those different audiences, right? Um, most of them weren't, and then one of them started to stand out, and then we doubled down on the one that was standing out. Now, for you, it's more of like if you're going to pick one product to go to market with, it's got m- mostly one use case. Then it's more about just like positioning, right? What are what are the you know what are the ways that I can sell this product? Is it is it just about you know? the aesthetic that annoys people is it that you know that they actually will get stronger using it right it's like what are all the benefits that they can gain by using this product and your your go-to-market is going to be more about testing all of those unique benefits and seeing what resonates best where for me it wasn't even necessarily benefit leading first it was more use case first and then we like double down on benefit from there um now as far as like moqs were we profitable um I mean, I, I was pretty sure because of our margins, because of just our experience at the agency that we could crack it. So like the first PO that I placed was I think like fifty grand, which is a pretty big bet. Um not massive, but like big enough that it was like, okay, if this doesn't work out, that's gonna sting. Um and Can I also own-
0: how many how many um product types was that? Not not um colors and sizes but how many actual individual products was that po against one one oh shit yeah that's a huge yeah. bet that's a huge yeah. bet
1: yeah but there were variants right so like different yeah. color sizes things um but one product yeah um yeah, I mean it was a big bet, but I think like the thing is, is I knew that there was a bunch of things that it solved. Like there was a bunch of benefits that I could I could position and there were a bunch of potential use cases for the product. So it's like okay, w- you know, I might have 20 potential shots at this. One of them should work out. And if one of them doesn't work out, then maybe I should stick to the agency and not go down the brand route. Um but yeah, I mean I think for you I think um sim- simple is better. I mean like just uh, honestly I would always tell anyone to do that. So like Starting with one product, I mean, there's nothing wrong with also just like pushing through, uh, th- you know, not even a thousand, five hundred unit PO and selling out and being done with it. Because the thing is, it's only like five hundred people, right, or less than five hundred people that bought. That's um, not a big. That's not a big amount. Of, that's not a large amount of people that they're going to be like upset that you're sold out. Then for three months while you restock, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are always like, oh, I don't want to sell out. If you sell out, that's great. Like. I, if anything that's just going to build like the idea of like fear of missing out for the people that maybe bought or told their friend about it and you're sold out. If they go buy a competitor so be it. Like there's always opportunity to like sell to more people. So um yeah, I mean I would keep it simple as possible. I would keep like variants this simple as possible. Like the the product you showed me I'd probably stick with just one. I don't know if I'd go with multiple colors, anything like that, I would just stick with one. Um because at the end of the day like I would rather have my time and energy not worried about like for us, like we had, you know, two colors with our, with our apparel product and then three sides. So we had six SKUs total mm-hmm. one product, but like if I could have just went with three, I probably just would have went in three. Like, I think I, we would have figured it out just as easily with, with, you know, three SKUs versus six, like one color versus
0: two. um Yeah. My question next is then um, definitely keeping the variance variance low mainly because of cost but also because yeah i don't know what people want my next question is how many types of product because like you've just seen you've got some grips there um i've got some shorts i've got a t-shirt and then what i've done in order to take advantage and try and increase the aov in order to try and build out some bundles and and just try and get as profitable as as possible in that first purchase Uh, but also as a potential way to acquire customers with advertising more cheaply is I've got some lost leaders built in. So things that are trending at the moment, like um, those big cups, whatever they're called, 40 ounce cups or whatever they are. Um, They're big in the U S they're not big in the UK yet, but they're trending in the right direction. So I've just stuck the branding on that. I'll sell them lower than market rate and that gets someone on the site who I can then hopefully upsell the other products to as a test. Um, But launching straight out of the gate, would you say, just do one or two products really, really well, and focus on that. Build landers, listicles, and just drive and through uh, through sales of those. Or, like I said, five or six products. Maybe two of them are lost leaders to get people in the door, uh, and then try and you know upsell them, um, and just have a bit more of a comprehensive offering with the aim of increasing that AOV and and trying to get some more profitability or acquire a customer a little bit cheaper? What, what would what route would you advise?
1: I mean, I would do the grips and the bottle and that's it. I think like the shorts and the shirt, like how many other apparel brands are there out there? If, if you're trying to sell your hero product, what's the chance that you upsell a shirt or uh, <clears throat> a pair of shorts? Probably like, you know, 5 to 10% of transactions, you'd maybe add in another product like that. Um, if you feel like there's opportunity with the bottle concept, like go with both of those, right? I build out funnels for both of them individually Um and then a bundle, bundle them together Um, or use them as like a cross sell, upsell and checkout where if you're just pushing the grips, then push the bottle in, in, in the checkout upsell or post-purchase upsell. If you're pushing the bottle, push the bottle first and then use the grips as like your, your other one. I think like trying to go with too many products. I mean, I think I could be wrong, but like, It feels like the apparel part of it um, is less of a solution to the market. Like I would focus on the ones that are, uh, you know, a clear like problem solution that, that you're solving something and that the market hasn't, you know, seen yet. So I honestly, I would start with those out of the gate and then you can always add in more, right? I I see apparel for this kind of concept as more of like an add on, Um, like I want to support the brand type of, uh, product which is you know probably 10 percent of your customers will want that if they're really into the grips but not more than that like i think doubling down on your hero product will always always produce more um so that's what i would do if i were you
0: makes it cheaper as well so good advice there all right in terms of um how long have we got here oh one minute okay one minute power minute how do i get to 100 grand
1: <laughs> how do you get to 100 grand um yeah. Okay. So listicle, you have to run listicles. If you're driving cold traffic, like there's, if you don't run, you know, static images, uh, or videos to a listicle before a product page, like you're missing out. I can tell you without a doubt that if you do that on like a super simple build out, um, it'll perform better than driving traffic to a PDP all day, hard stop. Um, so there's that, um, now from an ad standpoint, I love static images. I think you can come up with some like really good concepts there. Um, it's the best and easiest way to test angles and hooks and like value props in those static images versus trying to produce really, really good videos. Uh, usually, we'll start with static images. And then if we find some winners there, then we'll turn those into videos or hooks and videos and then double down on videos. You'll always get more scale out of videos than you will on images. But um, I think images are the way to start, just static images. Um, from a site standpoint, um, this is where you, like I
0: con- insight on product photography. Would you product photography? Where do I go with that?
1: Um, so you're gonna want like use case specific stuff. So like, honestly, okay. So I would probably spend a very small budget on hiring someone that knows what they're doing to come and shoot in in use case like photos. Um, You're going to want those for email. You're going to want those for your site. um, You're going to want those for then using text overlays on ads. Um, I'd probably spend a little bit of money there. Um, Not a ton, but a little bit. Maybe like a grand. Um, And from that, then... I mean, the majority of it then... And this is the hardest thing about launch brands. like You have no social proof. So if I were you, if I were to do anything, I don't know how many units you're going to order. But let's say you order 500 or 1000 units to start... I'd put i'd put 25 to 50 of those units aside to send to people uh who can who can be friends who can order it from your site for free um or even just like at cost plus shipping um, and have them leave a review and have them post a photo review Like without a doubt, if you can have them do that just prior to even launching any ads, your site will perform much better. As soon as you're trying to drive cold traffic to a brand that no one's ever seen before, that you don't have any followers, you have no social proof, like from the ad perspective to the landing page to the site, like having reviews is just a a non-negotiable. So I would do that first. Um,
0: That's a really good point on the social side. Is it worth trying to build up the social accounts before I launch the brand? Uh, just by putting out content that's relevant and people that people like and mass consumed just to get followers and then wiping all of that content off, renaming it and then just chucking the brand up.
1: I wouldn't worry about Instagram followers. I, there's no correlation Instagram followers to revenue. We've never seen it ever before. I mean, we have brands that are doing nine figures in revenue that have 10K followers, right? Like it just, it, there's no relation. Um I think TikTok is a really interesting platform. I think like we've been starting to play with it a little bit more um for one of our brands, uh hiring a creator to post videos about the product. I think you probably do that next. I think you kind of need to nail down the value props, nail down the positioning first, and I think you can do that with paid. Um and you'll learn that a little bit quicker than just like having people post content on TikTok about it, but um I wouldn't worry too much about it, to be honest. I would just make sure the pages look like fully like it's a real business. Make sure like, you know, there's content on it that you know the bios are right, the links are right, you know, on your Facebook pages, on your Instagram pages. Like, yeah, just make sure like it looks polished. That's all I would say. Um, Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about that, to be honest. If especially if like with your background is paid as well. I mean, like for us, we didn't care about that at all. It was like, get some photos up that were lifestyle photos of the products on the Instagram pages, on the Facebook pages, and then go run ads. It doesn't really matter from there. You can minimum, definitely go zero to hundred K without like any followers.
0: Minimum margins.
1: Um, okay. Margin or like margin with the product landed at the customer's door, two separate things, but both very important to think about. Right. Let's so take, like
0: take out um, delivery for now.
1: Okay, take out delivery. I like 80% margin um, plus. Um, so, you know, whatever product costs you 10, you sell it for 50. Um, I, that's pretty ideal. Um, again, then cost of delivery is a huge component, right? The lower your AOV, looking at these grips, like I can't imagine your AOV is going to be less than or more than, I should say, more than 80. So I think mm-hmm. like trying to keep, um, Trying to keep your cost of delivery as little of a percentage of your AOV as possible is obviously the move. So um, yeah, 80% margins, you, you can definitely win.
0: Charge for delivery or down a-
1: a- After discount too. That's one key piece. Uh, 80% gross margin after discount. So if you're going to be running bundles or a 10% off, 15% off first purchase, um, make sure that you're still sitting in that range. Uh, charge for shipping... Um, it's a great way to push AOV up. I would definitely test it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you've used the app or are familiar with IntelliGems, but we've been using that constantly. I would without a doubt, when you go to launch, install that and be testing pricing of product. Um, so let's say like your grips, you know, you were thinking of going to market at like 50. I would test 39, 49, 50, 54, 59 <laughs> with IntelliGems. And I would also run an A-B test where you're charging for shipping, not charging for shipping with a with a threshold because within like 30 days you'll learn pretty quickly which one of those is going to stand out. Price testing product is honestly like people don't do it enough on launch. Like that's that's what's allowed us to unlock Frey to be honest is like we price tested bundles um and we were able to get AOV at a spot and price point at a spot where conversion rate, AOV, everything like lined up. Um that's huge.
0: Logistics I know you do it yourself. I think I've got a hunch that you literally did that just so you could build your own gym. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> if that wasn't yep. the case, um <laughs> would you suggest initially using a 3 PR? Now, bear in mind, my initial market is the UK and the UK is a fraction of the size of the US.
1: Um, I think you should ship orders yourself. I think as long as like your cost to deliver the product, like here in the US, we have like the US Postal Service. It's the cheapest way to ship products that are lightweight. Um, So I can't go to 3PL and get a cheaper shipment, actually, if we use the US Postal Service. Like it is, that is a flat fee across no matter who you are. Um, So I think depending on what your cost of delivery is, that would be my leading indicator. You know, if it's a thousand orders, you can get those out. Like that's honestly, like that's kind of fun. Like for us, on all the launch brands, we'll always do handwritten notes to all the customers. Goes a long way. Um, Those little touches like that in the very beginning, I feel like are helpful. Also, you'll learn a lot of like, what are the shipping boxes or poly bags or what should I be using best to like, you know, so that the product arrives safely and nicely and that the customers like it and it's a good experience. I think like doing that in house to start is 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 totally fine.
0: Do you invest in packaging and the unboxing experience anymore, or not?
1: Um. So the first, these first few brands, no. I mean, like, not in the very beginning. Just straight white poly bags for the apparel. Uh, We did like a custom insert, like a thank you card, um, with then a handwritten note for the first, like, I don't know, ten thousand orders. Um, I think that goes a longer way than like a custom bag, custom box. Like, if you can put a little note in there that's from you. Um, I think that goes farther than like having all of that stuff super dialed. Um, I don't think it's absolutely necessary. No.
0: How do you put in a stop loss? When do you know when to say this isn't working?
1: (sighs) It's a good question. I mean, I think that's just not over indexing on your first PO. Like I said earlier, like being okay selling out, I think is totally fine. So um, be comfortable with like the amount that you're going to put in that you might not get it all back. Like, honestly, that's it. Um, I think like, let's say you put in a PO for a thousand units of a product. Um, If you can't sell through those thousand units in six months, there's probably something that's not working, right? Like you should be able to sell through those thousand units, um, hopefully in like 90 days or less. Um, But I would say six months runway, thousand units is like a good starting point. Hard to say based on AOV, but that's kind of where that's a rough number that I can throw your way.
0: Final question is if Facebook, if we're having this exact conversation, but Facebook was not a thing, didn't exist, what would your first channel advice be? Where should I go? Ooh, that's a great one.
1: Um, <laughs> me as a paid marketer, I really I struggle with that that question. Um if Facebook does does that mean like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok don't exist, like all paid social, or just like Facebook ads don't exist?
0: Yeah, let's just let's just wipe paid social off the face of the earth. It's never okay. existed and it doesn't exist. Paid
1: social doesn't. Uh, I mean, like, I'd probably go to paid search and start playing there. I definitely play with like organic um, on like TikTok more. Um, we've been able to back into for like one of our brands that a million views is twenty thousand dollars in revenue. It's not that hard to hit a million views, like if you're clever enough and if you want to grind enough. So I feel like there's opportunities. On TikTok, there's there's you know there's definitely ways to build a you know a mid small to mid seven figure business on TikTok organic, but it's then just about can you actually create engaging content that people want to watch and that's interesting. So I mean, like for you with the grips, it'd probably be like going to gyms and like recording people and seeing how many pull-ups they could do without the grips, and then how many pull-ups they could do with the grips, right? Like that's something that I feel like any like gym rat would love to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Anyways, just an idea.
0: Where's the hate for YouTube coming from?
1: Um as far as like posting on YouTube and making content on YouTube.
0: Just in general, I
1: mean um, I think it's just harder. I think right. it's just harder to be honest. Like I think the qual like what people expect from YouTube is definitely like more polished, more work, more energy to put it in to like create something that's actually gonna gain traction in, in views um shorts can definitely work we haven't seen the revenue correlation from shorts to e-commerce revenue that we have from tiktok views to to you know d2c revenue um so that's why i'm kind of mentioning that um yeah and also just youtube isn't really something that i've really ever specialized in personally so hard to say i'm sure it can work for some brands but for for us we haven't really doubled down on that yet
0: and here's my actual final final question what should I have cool. asked you that you think is very valuable? Some piece of information that you know about that people you know who would listen to this will be like holy shit, uh, and I didn't ask you because I'm a, a terrible host. What 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 <laughs> should I have asked?
1: Um, it's a good question. I I think people give up on like um, just like funnel hacking in D 2 C. I think like they build their website and then they. Try some landing pages and then they try to win it all with like ads. Um, I think that like price testing, like I mentioned with IntelliGems is massive. I think offer testing is massive. Um, adjusting website, CRO. Like there's, you know, there's a couple of people on Twitter, like uh, audits. I don't know if you f- follow them. They're like a CRO yeah. agency that designs really, really good. Honestly, all you need to do is go to their Twitter page, go to their media, which is just all the images of their before and after. Scrape every single one of them, put them in a Figma file, and then scrape your site and then just compare and contrast. There's probably a lot of things that you can improve on your website by just doing that. Um, and then the funnel hacking stuff. I mean, like brands that refuse to test new offers are brands that aren't going to win forever. Like Offers is such a key component of this. Um mm-hmm. They just need everyone needs to always be testing new offers, in my opinion. Um, and again, it's my it might just be can I get a little bit more contribution margin out of it at the end of the day? Like if I increase my prices by 10% and then offer an additional 5% off discount beyond what I was, is there is there an extra three dollars I can put to the bottom line for every order? Like there's stuff like that that I feel like not enough brands um they kind of give up on that. So like for us, Um, that's kind of our secret sauce is we'll never give up on that stuff. Um, and I think that's why we'll, we'll win, uh, in our, in our categories.
0: All right, man. I appreciate your time. What an interesting chat. And, uh, I hope you got some valuable information from that. I certainly did. And we will see you next week. This show as always is brought to you by Rewind and Sendlane.